As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. With exactly one game in the books for the Kansas City Chiefs 2021 season, we will have no trouble reaching back to some of the things we learned in the past editions of Chiefs games, in the past editions of Times Ours, and it's the fact that the Chiefs still to this day, yes, only play weird games. Welcome to the latest edition of Times Ours here on The Athletic. The presenting sponsor of today's episode of Times Ours is Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor. No Seth Kaiser as he's traveling back to the Great White North from Arrowhead Stadium. Looked like a little, for a little while there, Nate, that Seth may have made a very long road trip for a very frustrating game. Definitely a frustrating half. And then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey did Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey things. And now the Chiefs are 1-0 and nobody in Kansas City has to walk around with any sort of extra stress carried around today. It's remarkable, no matter how many times you see it, just how, as I wrote in The Athletic today, how ruthless, how painstakingly efficient all of a sudden the Chiefs become. Um, on both sides of the ball, like let's not forget that the defense all of a sudden woke up and realized, hey, we could actually like be a part of the solution, not just a problem. Uh-huh. But <laughs> but a great atmosphere at Arrowhead. It was wonderful to see so many people obviously grilling, uh, getting that cornhole going. The amount of smells that were from <laughs> alcoholic beverages was a was just a nice. A nice thing that I had forgotten, um, obviously, you know, last year's games being at much lower capacity, but I got to hug Seth Kaiser, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I got to get a bear hug from the man himself. It was it was just a wonderful time. And then, yeah, <laughs> like 12 minutes into the game, it's like, ooh, like, all right, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, like, hey, maybe this was, you know, the time of your, of your life where you're like, hey, our team is... Um, a true contender, and they are a true contender. And as I told somebody at halftime, because uh, I love the followers on Twitter, everybody knows um, we share our feelings at halftime. I'm yes. like your, you know, I'm like your loving, supportive counselor trying yes. to let you see the bigger picture within our 
in real time emotions. And that's okay. And, you know, there's a guy that I'm going to shout out. His name is Matthew. His handle is Chiefs Rebel 84. Excuse me, Chief. There's no S. Chief Rebel 84. And he said, Nate, I need you to tell me everything is going to be okay. <laughs> and my response was, the team you root for has Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and I just want people to repeat that to themselves in difficult times. Not even just difficult football times. Exactly, like, Josh. Exactly. Your, your car breaks down. Your relationship's on the rocks. Your kid's being a little snot. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath and say to yourself, the football team that I root for has Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. The team that I root for has Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> say it one more time. Say, say it one more time, Matthew. The team, the team that I root, root for. for has Patrick Mahomes. All right, Matthew, how does that make you feel now? Have you, have you, okay. But anyway, it's both small and grand. There are, and you and I talked about this just before we recorded, there are small things that translate to big things, and there are big things that are reflective of small things in Sunday's game. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs only need to play good football for like a quarter yeah. And they're still better than the majority of teams in this league. Even the contenders who are who are desperately trying to chase them down, who want to make it clear uh that they are that they are capable of dethroning a team that has really dominated the AFC for you know, 3 years now. I mean, they've hosted three mm-hmm. straight AFC championship games, but uh I get the sense that there really wasn't relief in the Chiefs locker room. It was reassurance to themselves and to let the Browns know. We we want to see you in January mm-hmm. and that you should be reminded of what we did to you all in week one. I don't have any interest in spending any grand portion of, of the show today going through like a scoreboard update or anything. But I wanna I wanna mention exactly one thing here to your point there, Nate. The Bills, who I considered and maybe still do consider to be the second best team in the AFC, or at least the team that I think maybe has the highest ceiling out of the rest of the teams in the AFC, which is really the only thing that matters for the, going up against the Chiefs, right? Like, you know, there, there are lots of good AFC teams that aren't going to hit a ceiling high enough to knock the Chiefs off. Mm-hmm. But the Bills are kind of, I think the Bills are the team, maybe the Ravens, are the teams with those higher ceilings that could really cause some problems. And the Bills lost at home to the Steelers yesterday. And honestly, kind of an inverse funny fashion to the, to, to the game we're talking about right now because the Bills were up 10 nothing at halftime. That fourth quarter, apparently Ben Roethlisberger's arm started working again. They had a huge special teams play and all of that nonsense, right? The Bills lose at home. They're now 0-1. The Chiefs obviously get a chance to go head-to-head with the Bills later in the season and basically put them down like a, like a sick dog. Like it will, it will be over for the one seed for the Bills if the Chiefs win that game. The, the thing that, that for all the frustrations in this game, for all of the, the issues in the first half that we'll have plenty of time to talk about, you need to see, as you said, a quarter of their best football. And if you get three quarters of below average to average football before that, the Chiefs can beat anyone doing that. Mm-hmm. The other teams in this conference, the Ravens could lose to the Raiders tonight, and it would not shock me. The Bills did drop that game. I am not worried at all about the Steelers. Steelers fans could come and fight me the same way they wanted to last year <laughs> at 8-0 and then falling apart or whatever it was that they, that they got to. I'm not afraid of the Steelers. You shouldn't be afraid of anybody because the team that you root for 
has Patrick Mahomes. And that's just sort of what it all ends up being. No one else has the ability to erase a deficit like that. And, and also, I mean, in, in this game, obviously the Browns ended up not having Odell Beckham, but the Chiefs, for all their defensive woes, Willie Gay Jr. on IR, uh, Frank Clark did not play, bit of a surprise maybe. Uh, we could talk more about him later on. And then mm-hmm. Tyron Matthew is a, a game-time scratch. He was act- he did end up being activated off the COVID list uh, just a little bit before that deadline on Saturday, but still didn't play in the game on Sunday. It, it's not like this was some perfect, pristine version of this Chiefs team, also the offensive line. I mean, we can talk about that plenty, too. But again, lots of there are lots of individual Lego pieces that we can pull apart and, and dissect from this game. But the overall full final product is the snapshot of Patrick Mahomes flexing after running a touchdown in and somewhere around that point realizing, oh, this game's actually over in the other direction now. And the Browns must be terrified. Yeah. And look, I, I think the Bills, understandably, Josh, have a level of expectation that uh, that they've earned. And so to lose at home when you were up at halftime, double digits, uh, yeah, that's a disappointment. Um, the Ravens tonight, and obviously we're recording this on Monday morning, like they'll, they're going to have to face their own challenges too because they're going to have to expand uh, their offense based on necessity. And I think Lamar Jackson has enough talent to, to rise with that. But, I mean – I don't know what to necessarily expect from the Ravens defense this year, which leads to your point as to maybe on a night where, you know, the true crowning of this new stadium in Las Vegas, maybe the Raiders will feed off that emotion and, and pull off a, a, a slight upset. I I feel like the first five weeks are going to be very important to the Chiefs yes. in terms of establishing their dominance. That 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 fifth week is obviously hosting the Bills in a primetime game. Um, and you're right. Let's say the Chiefs go 5-0. and uh, therefore, the Bills will have had at least two losses by then. Uh, they will have beaten the Ravens. The Chargers uh, did what they were supposed to do uh, yeah. yesterday in Washington. Uh, I believe the Chargers are the team that has the most weapons to at least make things difficult for the Chiefs in the AFC West. Definitely but agree. the Chiefs accomplished two things yesterday. Uh, you know, they beat a team that was so well prepared. I, I have to give a lot of credit to Kevin Stefanski. That coaching staff, Baker Mayfield was excellent. Um, but Josh, they went on a nine play, methodical, grind it out. You got to be efficient over and over and over again to go 75 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. Whew, we got ourselves a two score lead, baby. It's 29 <laughs> 20, and we just cannot. Make a, a what in the God's name is that? <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Boys, we <laughs> boys, we knew this was going to happen. Okay? <laughs> we double covered Travis Kelsey and boys, we knew. We knew. We're up by two. We got the ball, though. We're up by two. There's ten minutes left of the game. We got the ball back. We haven't gotten... They haven't stopped us all day. Except for Game's not over, fellas. Game's not over. They haven't made us punt yet. Why did we? Why? Okay, my one question is: You're up to yes, the crowd's going crazy. Yes, it's like we can't, we can't take in, we can't exhale at all. Mm-hmm. I just the one question I have offensively is why they went empty in shotgun and allowed Chris Jones to have a free rush on on 
on Baker Mayfield. So there's a sack. You're completely out of it in terms of what you can do offensively. Chris Jones sort of alluded to that after the game. Okay. Fine. <laughs> We're going to punt. We're going to see if they can do it two plays in a row from 75 yards. Oh, my God. He dropped the punt. Oh, my God. He <laughs> dropped the snap. He dropped the snap. So, as a writer, you're always trying to show fans, obviously our subscribers of The Athletic, I'm always trying to show something relatively new within uh, a repetitive pattern, which is, hey, Chiefs get down by double digits. They mostly come back these times. Mahomes is excellent. And uh, September, I've already written that, again, like five times. Mm -hmm. But you can't can't have self-inflicted errors. It's just... It's, it's it's too great, even without Tyron Matthew, even without Frey Clark, even with a defense that looked lost when they saw play. A- like, did the Chiefs ever see play action? Like, they looked like they had never seen play action before, Josh. Yeah, it's brutal. But it doesn't matter. Right. You have, especially in Arrowhead, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the margin of error is a little bit more on the road, although the Chiefs went undefeated on the road last year outside of, you know, the first road Super Bowl ever. Anyway, mm-hmm. all of this is to say is, you can't, you can't exhale, and you can't make your own mistakes. Like, the Chiefs have to beat you. You can't help the Chiefs just torment you. And Baker Mayfield, you know, I think had the appropriate reaction to his interception. Because mm-hmm. he played about as well as you could ask him to, given the circumstances and the constraints of he's going to have less drop backs just because they have two amazing like running backs like that's okay Mm -hmm. like his stat line would actually look better if they would not run the ball so much and Mm -hmm. um i'm 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 going to throw you the time of possession lob here in a minute but thank you i'd appreciate that but it's hard to tell already professional players fellas we have to be near perfect in practice Getting on the bus, coming off the bus, coming out of the locker room at halftime, and especially in the fourth quarter. That's something that I think fans generally missed about the Buccaneers. The idea wasn't that the Buccaneers, yes, took advantage of a clear weakness that the Chiefs had. They also did not make any mistakes that gave the Chiefs any margin of life in the second half of that game. They got up 21-6. And they didn't turn the ball over. They didn't have penalties. They didn't go backwards. Uh, they didn't miss assignments. They didn't have Tyreek Hill beat them deep. Like, it helps that the Chiefs offensive line was kind of in shambles. But everybody's kind of got to get to that Tom Brady thought process of, okay, we have the lead. That's what you want. But you have to you have to still be great at being aggressive, efficient, and not making mistakes. To your point about, you know, you have to make the Chiefs beat you. You can't, you cannot beat yourself. The, uh, like you said with the uh, the play-by-play there, the one play, 75-yard touchdown drive, you, you just all, part of you, I don't know if any defensive coordinator would admit this or not, but part of you has to almost expect that to happen. Because you know, at the very least, you know it is not a fluke when it does. It it is something you are very much accounting for. And frankly, like beating yourself up over that one play doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and you can can only do what you can do. Yes. But then it's the, it is the muffed punt. 
it is a, an untimely fumble. And those two things, I, I think as much as the as much as the long touchdown, that's what ended up changing the game because it did give the Chiefs just that tiny bit of an opening. And that's not even that's not even a criticism of the Browns. No. Because every team has a mistake like that. The Chiefs had mistakes like that in the first half that the Browns did also capitalize on. Like, the, the, the Chiefs had some bungles. And we could work through some of them if you want. I mean, Andy Reid should have gone for it on fourth and two from the 10. It's a, it, That is not an objective thought by me. I'm not saying this is my argument. I'm saying you objectively should have gone for that. It's, yeah, especially, not subjective. Yeah, and especially when your defense uh, gave up like, I don't think there were any negative plays. I'll look this up. I don't know if there were any negative plays, like truly negative plays on the opening drive for the Browns. And then no. you gave up a encroachment penalty by Chris Jones. And yep. then you immediately <laughs> give up a successful two point attempt. So you're down eight, nothing. And, um, you know, yes, it's always nice to get points, but down eight, nothing. I, I, I don't know necessarily why you, why you kick there because, uh, the Chiefs' offense on short yardage was actually excellent yesterday. It was, it was, yeah, absolutely. And you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill and your shiny first round running back and a shiny new offensive line and all these things that you would think would lead towards being able to believe you could get two yards there. Anyway, I, I mentioned that because if if some if they get that punt off, we might be talking about how that was the difference in this game. And I, Andy didn't didn't mention it in the the post game presser last night, but. Um, I've heard him, you know, give his logic for stuff like that early in the game. He's tended to be more aggressive later in the game, uh, but early in the game, those points still count the same way and yes. could have ended up costing them. But you have that happen. You have, there was the little trick play that they were going to run where they ended up having a false start. You know, they had a underhand pass to Mike Rimmers for two yards. He got a red zone target to Mike Rimmers. That's the world we're living in. Um, there was, they had to burn a timeout early in the third quarter after the sort of bungled little trick play that ended up in the false start. The Chiefs made mistakes of their own but they have the greatest eraser in football playing quarterback and also receiver and also tight end for them. So again, you know, it, 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 it might be a little bit redundant at this point to say that those mistakes don't matter. And I guess in this case, really, they just didn't end up changing the result. But that's, that is a testament to not that you never, you, you don't want to get rid of those mistakes because they really frustrated me. All the ones that I just mentioned, I, I don't have like, I wasn't looking at my notes. I remember all of those from last night because I was so frustrated by them all. <laughs> but it, it, it it's not that they shouldn't matter or they, they don't matter. It's that they, in some cases, won't because of what your offense can do whenever it's doing the things it does in character. So, Yeah, and um, can we just acknowledge that as much of a principle defensively as it is to say, okay, we're in the red zone, boys. Uh Got to lighten, like you know, lock it up, tighten up the screws. Uh, it's a tight end out there. All right, put the linebacker. We're in the red. No, stop doing that. Stop. He's not a tight end. I mean, he is, but he's not. So, the first one, I'm like, okay, they kind of schemed you up. It's fine. They split the tight end wide. You mistakenly put 56 on an island to get mm-hmm. just whatever. That's fine. The second one is on you, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, can I give a little secret here, Josh? I would love a little secret. In the red zone, ladies and gentlemen, because I've watched this. In the red zone, the first read, whenever the Chiefs are not in a creative formation, as you alluded to, like one of these trick plays, 
Travis Kelsey is always the first read. Okay, I would just I would just like to tell every defensive coordinator until proven otherwise that Travis Kelsey is always the first read. So, on the second touchdown, the one that was the game decider, they motioned out a running back. I can't remember if it was Clyde or if it was... Uh, I think it was McKinnon. Yeah, well, it was McKinnon. He definitely uh, did that earlier in the game that I caught my eye. It could have been Clyde later. I couldn't tell you. So they motion, I, was, I was too confident. Yeah, they motioned out of the backfield. And principle-wise you are supposed to slide every defender over because mm. it's an indicator that, yes, there are some man principles pre-snap, but you could obviously you know, flip that to zone. That's what the Cleveland Browns did because the Chiefs expected that. So they slide mm. everybody down, and instead of the safety or a DB being on Travis Kelsey, now it's a linebacker in the middle of the field. And again, that's on you. That <laughs> is on you, sir. So my home, I asked Mahomes about this, um, and I'll write a little bit more specifically about it in the next article. But basically, Mahomes says, "Yeah, it was it was a man look, but with a zone backing." Uh, Kelsey's so good at this now that because he knows he's on a linebacker, oh wait, I don't need to run the original route now. I just need to sit my butt down and play a little, you know, low post move. And guess where the first read was, kids? They're not running the route on the play sheet. <laughs> they just see the matchup and they go, oh, this is easy money. Yep. yep. Eight yard touchdown, kids. Like, any time. Like, can I, I mean, again, I'm not as well versed in football as most defensive coordinators are in the league. In fact, probably mm-hmm. all defensive coordinators in the league. But one of the secrets I could tell you people is, the first read every time in the red zone is Travis Kelsey, unless there is some creative wrinkle behind it to move you off the original first read. But most of the time, and every time yesterday, it was Travis Kelsey. And guess who got the ball twice? I mean, just so look, Tyreek Hill is amazing. Uh, what he did in the middle of the field was just as impressive as what he did on the long touchdown. But, but you know, um, the Chiefs are going to obviously have to break tempo a little bit, but I just find it fascinating that they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, oh, that's fine. Well, just motion the guy out. Yep, that's what we want. Yep, easy touchdown. And again, the Browns did a great job for like yeah. 48 minutes, 49. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'll give them 52. Like, it's just, this team is really good, and they're only going to get better, which I think is another thing that we can kind of allude to because – you know, um, if you're a Chiefs fan looking at this as, as optimistically as I think you can, uh, Nick Bolton got better as, as the game went along. So did uh, Juan Thornhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Jones got more comfortable playing in a new position at defensive end. Uh, that offensive line, I think, gets a passing grade uh, as a whole. But they should get better as the season goes along because, you know, this was obviously the first real test um, playing behind Mahomes, understanding what Mahomes wants. Miles Garrett is phenomenal unbelievable uh, unbelievable player Woo! miles garrett but uh all these things they should get better at and i think that's i think that's that's a grim out, out you know outlook <laughs> for other teams in the afc looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep You heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's talk about the the unit on the offense then that we haven't really touched on too much yet because I think it all fits in what you just said there. And then we can we could literally spend the rest of the show talking about some defensive things, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, but let's talk about the offensive line some because you want to talk about the, you know, the test they had with Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney and, and that entire defensive front. You get we, – we, we said this on – I think we did this show on Friday, but our pregame, you know, show, we we talked a little bit about how, hey, we've seen this offensive line look pretty good whenever it has played together, but it's been for like a quarter and a half against a combination of starters and backups. And that is not the same thing as four quarters against Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. Yes. And uh, some of the, the PFF grades have come out and they are not flattering, especially to Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang. In fact, I think it was uh, Seth Walder of ESPN tweeted on, on pass block win rate that Niang and Brown were like, I think it was second to last and third to last among qualifying tackles, which I which caught my eye because I did not feel like it was anywhere near that sort of bad. Also, uh, as it, Seth is not here with us, but I can hear him in my head right now. Win rate is less important than loss rate for yes. an offensive lineman. Yes. And and that's not the same thing as what as what uh, Seth Walder was tweeting out. And um and also I, I saw somebody kind of make the point of some of these grading systems don't don't seem to count uh running an off a, a, a defensive end around the back of the pocket as a win. That because you get that depth and somewhere in there that gets counted as a loss or at least not as a victory. And the the the, the two tackles in this game seem to be doing a lot of that. One time, at least, there was some serious consequences to that strategy where Mahomes, instead of kind of scooting up in the pocket a little bit, stepped back and then got sandwiched back there. And I feel relatively confident, Mahomes mentioned this in the presser as well, 
Whenever that happens, that's usually on the quarterback a good percentage of the time, depending on the angle that those that those edge rushers get turned in. And that's something else that we've talked about a million times throughout training camp. Every time Mahomes or Orlando Brown or Lucas Niang have talked about working together and figuring out where each other's preferences are. Orlando Brown and, and Lucas Niang are not going to to grab Miles Garrett by the inside of their shoulder pads or grab Jadavian Clowney by the inside of his shoulder pads and just stand them up because th- that doesn't happen to those guys very often. And so you try to run them out around the back of the play and everything. And Mahomes, typically speaking, his tendencies in the NFL have been to bail backwards and then do something amazing because he can do that. Uh, but in this game, I think we saw some of those things, good and bad, kind of showing, uh, coming to the surface a little bit, where you saw some instances where Mahomes, you know, had a nice pocket, did step up, was able to step up and even run through uh, the middle of the line, sometimes drifting back a little bit. So it, I think pretty clearly it was a mixed bag. Do you have a, a leaning one way or the other, Nate, in terms of um, how that how, how game one went for that unit as a whole, particularly in the pass blocking side of things? Yeah, um, I, I can see the argument that maybe these guys on the tackle standpoint didn't play as well. Um, again, part of that is, we've already mentioned it before, Miles Garrett's going to make a lot of people not look good. Uh, yep. You know, Jadavion Clowney had some juice. Like, I'll, I'll give him credit. You know, I, I thought that this season was kind of, not make or break, but it was kind of like career redefining for him. Like, if it can't work in this sort of scenario, like, that, that's not a great sign. So, look, I thought he played well. He generated a lot of pressure. Um, Yes, the Chiefs made a clear decision to try to use the the, the Brown speed rush on the edge against them. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, and you've sort of alluded to it, I'm trying my best to to, uh, assume what Seth would say is, when you're playing with Patrick Mahomes... Uh, and I, I learned this doing some reporting on the Lucas Niang story back in the offseason, but mm. the thought process was to die a slow death as an offensive mm-hmm. lineman. They like the Chiefs would much rather you lose late in the play versus wow, that guy is already behind me as the ball's being right. snapped, which is you know most notably what happened with Chris Jones's second sack. He he beat the tackle on the first step of the ball being snapped, and that's never a good thing. So for the Chiefs. There was less of that. It was more, let's die a slow death. Let's push these guys past Mahomes. And it was Mahomes' responsibility to, yes, step up to the pocket. And what happens is if you use a speed rush against the defender, it creates running lanes. And this leads to the point as to, yes, the Browns technically had the perfect coverage call on the first snap up 29 to 20. Problem is... Both edge rushers use their speed rush. They are pushed away from where Mahomes' you know, drop is supposed to be. He climbs up in the pocket, moves to his right. That's a clear rushing lane for the quarterback to scramble or extend a play. And what happens is because the Chiefs use that strategy, yes, there are going to be points where you lose a snap. You're going to give up a sack. I think giving up two sacks yesterday is by all means fine for a new offensive line. You know, and I think I think it gets worrisome if it was four or five sacks. Now, yes, Mahomes will escape in some sense to give you less of 
those opportunities, most notably his touchdown scramble, where the play is the play could be a twelve yard sack, and Mahomes is just like, "Oh, isn't it funny? You're running at me at a straight line. That's that's cute." <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he flips his hips. He he hesitates. He has all these little quick sudden moves that always give him sort of a, a, an edge because, um, look, defenders are told you better hit the quarterback straight on. So if the quarterback moves, there's always sort of that hesitation of, well, I don't want to get a, you know, rough in the passer penalty because that gives the offense a whole new set of downs. And so all that's in a defender's mind as they're rushing the quarterback. A lot of things to like consider when you're trying to take down a guy who's got one of the most sudden escapable moves in football, who's just also a wizard throwing the football. But um, yes, when the Chiefs know they're passing and the defense knows they're passing, um, you can sort of use all that information against them. And I just think it was a brilliant job by Mahomes to understand. I'm dropping back. My tackles did exactly what they wanted to do, which is push those guys away from where the pocket should be formed. The pocket is now formed. I've got a clear line. Give credit to um, Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney. Um, they present a, like multiple options for him to scrape to. He scrapes out of out to the right. And Tyreek Hill is, is in one-on-one matchups. And the ball honestly should be thrown every time um, when you get in that opportunity. So uh, I feel like... I feel like the offensive line where you might not love the win-loss rate, um, if they continue to die a slow death better as the season goes along, that will give Mahomes, one, the chance to extend plays, and two, the chance to sort of find that second or third option. And one one of the the sacks, uh, this came up, I'll, I'll steal from Tony Romo, because he mentioned this in the broadcast, I thought it was interesting. They immediately then cut to uh, a replay of, of Travis Kelsey's route, where Romo kind of made the point of like, hey, this doesn't happen very often, so look at it real quick. Uh, Kelsey reading the defense here probably should have broken the other direction, and it looked like Mahomes was expecting him to, but then whenever he realized he didn't, then Mahomes ended up not actually throwing that pass and then took that sack that was, I think it was off of Lucas Niang's guy kind of stepping up in the pocket a little bit. But if, I mean, Romo straight up basically said that sack ends up being on Travis Kelsey, which is sort of interesting. Yes. Um, and, and so, like, that also would help the the stat line. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the win-loss rate and everything would all be the same, but um, just in terms of one of those sacks might have been another completion to, to Travis Kelsey if he breaks the other direction. Yep. Which is kind of interesting. Yep. And, and look, you know, uh, the offensive line can only do so much <laughs> when the mm. other team knows you're passing the ball. And I would tell, you know, most defensive coaches that on first and 10, given where they are on the field, the Chiefs are more comfortable passing the ball than maybe some other teams are, obviously, given their firepower. So that that informs the defensive ends. Uh, that informs maybe a blitz here or two. Um, mm-hmm. And so, look, I don't think the offensive line made any clear mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly, uh, kind of some low criticism. Just, just a little. Just a little criticism. I think the offensive line created more running lanes than Clyde Edwards-Alaire took advantage of, but it's his first game with this offensive line too, and so if he looks at the film a little bit differently, maybe there's more yards for him to get um, past the line of scrimmage. But there were a couple plays where when I rewatched the game, I said, oh, the offensive line actually did a a pretty good job there, and Edwards-Alaire either didn't hit the hole directly or he was too indecisive once he got through the hole. Huh. <clears throat> yeah, 14, 14 carries, totally fine. 
Uh, I understand what Andy Reid's saying when we want to get a little more balance. So 14 carries for your top running back is fine. Sure, yeah. 43 yards isn't great. The longest run was nine yards, and that was well into the game. I just think Uh, there are – I know there's been some screenshots of, wow, he only got how many yards in this snap? But I think that's mm -hmm. mostly because, for whatever reason, Edwards Allaire um, just didn't make either the right cut or was a little indecisive. But that, you know – you hope as the season goes along, you get more comfortable. Obviously, you're playing at a faster game speed than you would in preseason. But there were there's there's a, there's some slight criticism for Clyde edwards um running correctly through the mm-hmm. hole or, or reading his zone blocks. You know, maybe his one on one blocks, you know, a little bit better. Um, yes, people, I understand. McCall Hartman was targeted three times for 19 yards, and one of the one of the one of his touches, he he went out of bounds before getting the first down. So there's still some things to learn um, in what is supposed to be a breakout season for McCall Hartman. There's also a I caught this live and then uh, somebody tweeted out the clip. Also, I'm gonna move past that. I, I I saw someone else mention that on on Clyde during the game. I'm glad you brought it up, but I have no further opinions on that particular part of it because um, I want this show to keep moving. So, uh, but there was one other clip that somebody somebody tweeted out. I think it was uh, Nance saying that Hardman was late getting onto the field to return a punt because he couldn't find his helmet. Yep, that happened. Totally happened. I'm not sure he had somebody else's helmet on, honestly. Because as soon as he came off the putt, he gave the helmet right back to one of the one of the staff members, and it's like, all right. I mean, first I think first first game mistakes. If you do it in week two, we we really do have a problem. But you're a third year professional. Um, we yeah, would, I we think would, that we would hope that preseason games prepared you for such a situation. But um, you know, if we were if we if we talked to him. Later this week, I think one of the questions is: Was that your helmet? Did you misplace your helmet? Was there some equipment? Oh staff man, that's gonna be a whole issue. day of talk radio, but, too, though. But but yeah, it was you know being in the press box, you sort of see these things. Uh, the the Browns were in punt formation, Josh, and there was nobody back there. And then as the ball's being snapped, basically McColl's on the field with a with either with either finding his helmet or somebody else's helmet, which again is like. The league does not want that because all these helmets have been measured for your head size, for concussion research, for obvious reasons. Um, but hey, when the uh, when the action starts going, you know there there are first game mistakes. Like I I vaguely remember a kid on my high school football team uh, not having his helmet at some point, and like I from that moment on, and from the things that the coach then said and did. I never made that mistake ever. <laughs> and I would think that that would have soaked up, you know, by year three. I, I don't know. I, I don't, like I said, if, if he gets asked that question, if he ends up at the podium at some point this week, that is going to be a whole day of radio. And it's probably going to be, I mean, I'll just say probably going to be overblown, but it's also not a good look. I think those things can both be probably be true at the same time. And the stepping out of bounds right in front of the, the, the first down marker also really bad. But was that the play that ended up leading to our first belldozer sneak or was that a different series? Yes, no. The 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 next play immediately was Andy going Eric, should we run it now? I thought we'd run it in a much more important situation, but we got we yeah. got to get the first down right. Okay, fine. Just 
everybody can see on tape now that when we run a quarterback sneak, it will be to Blake Bell. We thought, and, they, we, and it should be like I, oh, I am, definitely, I, it, it, it's one of the innovations that I was like, okay, if that's why you brought Blake Bell back, kind of makes sense. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Mahomes is never going to run a sneak again, at least never. as long as Andy Reid is here, and probably for the rest never, of his entire ever. career. And and they they had the the handoff to Burton earlier, but look, I mean the the up man handoff is not a great percentage play in short yarded situations because the the tailback gets more momentum and is theoretically your better runner. But if you're gonna go from you know just you want to get there as quickly as possible, then your quarterback should just sneak it. Let Blake Bell do it, and I I'm sure that there will be some point uh, this year where where Blake Bell is going to take that snap and then hand it off. Or he's going to line up behind the guard and and look like he's under center, and they'll snap it yeah. to Mahomes and he'll yes. throw it. There's gonna be some wonky stuff that comes out of that. But if 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 it's just if Blake Bell has five carries for six yards this year, that is totally that is worth a it. Huge win, a totally huge win. worth it. Yeah, that, that's so high leverage. And look, I mean, for whatever if you like, Clyde, you don't like Clyde, whatever that that he handing the ball to almost any running back from the tailback spot is harder to get one yard there than to let Blake Bell just sneak it. The Titans ought to snap it directly to Derrick Henry under center and just let him dive. Like, just do that more often. Let that interior get a little bit of push and let Blake Bell dive over the, the line or just push through that group. I, I was very, I was shockingly pleased to see that happen because I thought it was wonderful. Blake Bell, I just looked this up, makes a little less than $1 million this season. And ladies and gentlemen, if he has a statistical line rushing the football, as Josh has mentioned, it will be money well spent. Absolutely. <laughs> money well spent. And But part of me could tell from Eric Vietnamese and Andy Reid, they're like, fine. <laughs> like, we would like to show these plays. You know, they kind of want to segment these things out because, you know, why would we put everything on tape, you know? But... Um, yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes a little, a little mistake leads to some, oh, that was cute. Oh, I like that. You know? And then sometimes it's like, well, hell, you think we should, we think we should, so let's put, let's put Mike Rivers on tape. <laughs> let's put Mike Rivers on tape. Carry, they carry four tight ends. Why could <laughs> and Jody Fortune was active. Yes. Why couldn't that have been Jody Fortune? Couldn't <laughs> Noah Gray or Blake Bell? Somebody who could catch the ball <laughs> and maybe then maybe do a little pivot step. Not only is it a similar formation from last year, let's just F it. Let's get Man. Mike Bell and Mike Rivers in touch. <laughs> By the way, Mike Rivers has already acknowledged this on Instagram. I would encourage people to find his Instagram account and, uh, and go see his hilarity. I mean, look. One snap, one reception off one target. Man did his job, you know? I just, hey, but again, the Chiefs playing the game very within the game of the game. It would just be like, hey, let's just put Blake Bell on. <laughs> let's, let's put Blake Bell on tape. Let's put Mike Rivers on tape. Ah, that'll be a waste of 25 minutes for whoever we're playing next. <laughs> It's literally just let's waste their time. Hey, boys, we got to look. We got to. Okay, here's our principles. Here's our keys. Let's uh, run the tape. All right. So they did this last week. I don't really see them throwing the ball to the backup tackle again. But let's uh, if they do this here, we do that there. Okay. And that was five minutes of our wasted time. Let's. And and by the way, we got to look at this on the practice field. I just want to make sure everybody understands what they're doing. Right. Uh, also, 
Uh, I guess the tight end moved to the quarterback spot, but like, it's like it's not pistol, but like if that happens, Mahomes is still an option here, as is the running back, or they could move forward. I, I mean, so we'll look at that in our short yardage package today. <laughs> like you can just you can just see the anger, <laughs> like both the Ravens and the Chargers coaching staff being like, <sighs> I mean. They're probably not going to run it. And if they run it, it's not going to be what you see. But here it is. Here it is, guys. Here's what they did. So good. Um, two last little quick offensive things. And we can spend the rest of the show on the defense, basically. Because um, you, you mentioned the uh, the Chiefs running the ball a totally fine number of times. That's okay. I thought it was very weird that Andy Reid twice in this postgame presser talked about how uh, committing to the run in the second half was really important. And it's funny to me just because, like, a couple quick things, and I'll even give Seth sort of almost half point that he tweeted, um, where, where Clyde carries the ball 14 times, 43 yards, 3.1 yards per carry, as you as you mentioned. Uh, Mahomes ran the ball and added to that a little bit, obviously. They had some of the short yardage stuff, whatever. Uh, Jerick McKinnon did not get a touch, which I would have taken the over on half a touch yes. for Jerick McKinnon in yes. this game. That was a little surprising. Um, and also, Clyde had at least one or two nice receptions in the passing game, which is great. That I'm thrilled every time that happens. Uh, but it was the the idea of them committing to the run really helping was sort of interesting because out of the gate they they ran the ball twice and got to third and three, and then Mahomes threw the Tyree kill to convert the first down, and then Clyde ran it, and then they passed it four straight times. It was a run for four yards, and then they ran it. Clyde ran it for three yards, and then Mahomes ran for the first down on third and seven. And then they uh, ran it for nine yards. Probably the that was the long carry on the day. Yes. And then it was Mahomes to Hill. Mahomes runs, and eventually then Mahomes to Kelsey for the touchdown. And then after that, they ran it like a couple more times throughout the rest of the game, and it wasn't productive in really any of those situations. I mean, five yards I think was the longest of any of the carries that they ended up with. Now, Seth put out the idea of like, well, maybe that ended up impacting the coverage they were playing. Did it get them out of their two safety sets? And I don't, I certainly didn't recognize that in real time. And if ultimately, if the Browns were going to say, we thought they were going to run it on first and 10, which is why we let Travis, why we let Tyreek Hill get downfield and gave up a 75 yard touchdown, I, I would be hesitant to say that running the ball a few times the first drives of the half was the reason that they were not able to cover Tyreek Hill there. But whatever. The the thing that I think is sort of funny, though, is like it, for both of these teams, even as the Browns are very good at running the football, Chubb and Hunt both averaged five and a half yards per carry. But this was a game of like raining fire from heaven from both of these quarterbacks. And, and the idea that somehow like things need to stay grounded, I I find very silly. And you also mentioned the time of possession thing earlier, Nate. Chiefs ended up winning the time of possession in this game, by the way, which is, you know, thrilling. But somebody tweeted me at halftime and said, no matter how much you scream about time of possession not mattering, it clearly does. Otherwise, you're forcing Mahomes to be perfect. Just look at, you know, look at how this game has gone. And then I went and looked up time of possession because I wasn't sure what it was. And in the first half, the Browns had the ball for about 15 and a half minutes, and the Chiefs had the ball for about 14 and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And the, the Browns were winning the game 22 mm -hmm. to 10 at halftime, mm -hmm. despite the fact that they were basically tied in time of possession. Mm -hmm. And the, the halftime show didn't know that. The uh, people tweeting me didn't know that. It's very easy to look up. ESPN's box score keeps track of that in real time. It is a very easy statistic to check on before you tweet something really, really dumb. But it doesn't matter. 
matter. Like, we know this, and I'm not going to spend 15 minutes on it today by any means. But, but hey, but hey, isn't it great to be back? It is good to be back. It is good to be back. It just simply does not matter. The, the only, you know, usually things like, you know, Chiefs are whatever and whatever whenever they run the ball for 100 yards or teams are whatever and whatever when they win the time of possession is usually because almost always there's a great data visualization of this uh, sometime last week. I think it was from that uh, Cowboys stats and analytics account that, that did this. You can see the divergence between teams when they run the ball and, and coming in like the fourth quarter when the team that is winning starts running the ball more then. It's not about running the ball in the first, second, third quarter. It's that if you're up, you're more likely to run it more and try to get the game over within the fourth quarter. Yes. Whenever like length of drives and stuff can matter. The Cowboys would have been well served to have a little bit of a longer drive on Thursday night football at the very end before giving the ball back to Tom Brady. That's a time when when time in a singular possession may matter, but the idea of measuring it over the course of a game having any meaning is uh, is really silly. And, and in a weird way, the Chiefs prove that kind of in the opposite way that they usually prove it because they were uh, getting pretty well curb stomped and were about a minute behind in time of possession. So there you, there you go. Thanks for coming right. to my TED Talk. Right. And also, another thing that our, our good uh, our good buddy Matt Derrick sort of mentioned to me in the press box and he kind of alluded to it in a couple questions after the game was... Uh, Weirdly, in terms of actual time, uh, you know, the Chiefs defense whew, looking pretty raggedy, y'all. But hey, they got a they got a nice little 12 minute break. Then the Chiefs went on a on a comfortable just, hey, we we champions. We know what we need to do. It, it don't matter what that what the what the skull is like. We know what we can do. Here's all the adjustments. Uh, this is exactly why Andy Reid defers every coin toss one. Mm. Um, and hey, here we go, kids. Um, how about this night? This, this nice, lovely 14 play journey, 75 yards. Uh, they get over a penalty. It's 22 17, and we have eclipsed, uh, we've taken seven minutes and 33 seconds off the time. And gotta say, kids, real time, that actually helped the Chiefs defense because it gave. Mm. It gave them the ability to say, "Okay, let's. What do we do when they do play action again? Okay, maybe we'll maybe we'll handle that differently. Hey, boys, we need a turnover. And I think Spagnuolo is very good at coaching the defense to be like, "Hey, with when the opportunity presents itself, be a little bit more aggressive." Um, they were much tighter in coverage because dudes were wide open in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and look on the on the Browns. Only touchdown drive in the second half. That is a that is a credit to Baker Mayfield just being pinpoint um, in some of those intermediate passes. But yeah, I think Chris Jones woke up uh, as I wrote in the story. Chris sort of alluded to the fact that hey, we un- we actually understood their game plan a little bit better at halftime. You get a little bit more time to sort of talk to one another on the sideline. Okay, the Chiefs have scored, or the you know, the offense has scored. So now you know there's obviously momentum. The crowd's into it. Um, and look, it's been a long time, Josh, since I've seen one player look as horrid in the first half and then be absolutely excellent in the second half, the way Juan Thornhill played. Mm-hmm. Um, I just believe Juan Thornhill should be one of the better defenders on the team. Um, he makes a, a really nice play to put his helmet right on the football on Nick Chubb uh, to get the form to get the fumble. Uh, ben Neiman wisely falls on it because you ain't got to do nothing doc just just mm-hmm. just fall on it um that leads to a field goal so now it's now it's truly a a a tight matchup from that point on 
And um, I think Nick Bolton, you know, played better than I expected. Um, you know, I think Anthony Hitchens played an integral role. He had an elbow injury, but he stayed in the game and made sure everybody understood their sort of alignments and obviously made some pre-snap adjustments uh, to whatever the Browns were showing. And then, look, Andy Reid said he hadn't really seen a player dominate a second half the way Chris Jones did. And if Chris Jones can get to this level, if he can summon this intensity execution great combination of speed and power uh that's going to be really really something to watch if and when tyron matthew comes back and is the player that we know him to be and if frank clark gives you anything from an above average standpoint so even though time of possession does not matter i think real time actually helped the chiefs settle down the way chris jones sort of mentioned after the game yeah, I think that's super interesting. And again, the time of possession thing is because you're, you start measuring it at, at the first kickoff and individual stretches of time, of course, can matter. It depends on what happens in them. But yeah, um, real quick, a, a couple things within the, the defense there that you touched on. Uh, I'll go back to the aforementioned Matt Derrick because I want to run this specific thought process by him because he is a Mizzou guy. He also told me the week before the draft that the Chiefs were going to take. He said this on the radio. It wasn't like privately. He, he said, he said, the, Chiefs are going to take Nick Bolton. He was like, this is just, Josh, it's going to happen. You just got to get prepared for it. And I (laughs) laughed at him. I thought it was a joke. And he was obviously right. And so uh, there was a lot on Twitter last night. And if you're a Mizzou fan that's excited about Nick Bolton, I don't want to, I do not want to pee in any punch bowls. I do not want to be a wet blanket on anything. I'm not, I I really, I don't want to do that. Um, But there were a couple of tweets of like, Nick Bolton has put the rest of the NFL on notice. And I and that would that what I thought was a little silly, just, because, just a little coming in real hot. And I and coming in real hot isn't helping Nick Bolton either. Going, he's literally prime Patrick Willis, like meets Luke Keekley. Like as, that is not helpful to him or, or our expectations of him. And so I, I ran all this by Matt, and he basically gave me kind of the green light on it, which made me feel good. So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll do the same. Um, Nick Bolton didn't miss any tackles last night. He was around the ball plenty and mm-hmm. made good plays, had at least a couple of like pop off the screen plays, a nice tackle for loss on Nick Chubb in the backfield, some some good work in space, all of that. And that's great. And I'm happy for that. Also, there were large portions of the game where the entire group of linebackers got washed away in the great flood. Like that just simply stu- they were no longer on the field for, for certain stretches of the game, it appeared. Uh, and part of that might have been on the defensive line, not keeping them clean. Um, I, I don't know. And some of it would have could have been on Hitchens and some of it was on Neiman, I'm sure. And some of it was on Bolton. And you can share all of that. But I, I, I mean... I always find it kind of interesting on like a fan psychological level, the amount of praise that fans are more willing to give to high draft picks or guys that they really hope or expect to be good. Kind of, I mean, it's confirming your priors or whatever. And if yep. you hate Ben Neiman, then when Ben Neiman makes a mistake, he's a bum. But whenever he makes a really nice tackle in, open, in the open field in the fourth quarter or recovers a fumble, you go, ah, you know, whatever, fine. Uh, but whenever Nick Bolton does that, you go, yes, he's, he's literally Derek Johnson. It's like, I... You know, I just don't know that we needed to get there just yet. But I, I think you can say it was a very nice debut for Nick Bolton. And also uh, that, you know, he is very much not ready to be covering anybody on any meaningful level right now, which we knew from training camp. We knew from Mizzou. And you can be excited about his his future and his role as, you know, if he can be Damian Wilson this year, great. I think he could probably do that. 
Yeah. And this is a big hope for the Chiefs, but there's there should be, you know, uplifting for a linebacker core that at some point this season could have a healthy Anthony Hitchens, a healthy and improving based on the speed of the game, his keys, understanding the the linebacker principles a little bit more, Nick Bolton, and then a fully formed, hopefully healthy as can be, you know, dealing with the toe injury, Willie Gay, where, hey, one of those three guys can make a play for you um, to prevent the offense from having either a large gain or, you know, can be around the football to where the quarterback doesn't have an easy read in the middle of the field. Um, I feel like Nick Bolton, uh, and this is, uh, you're not doing this on an equal grade, and I understand that, but he had a better debut than Willie Gay did last year because he was on the field, like, doing stuff. So I understand fans wanting to lean in and, and wrap their arms around Nick Bolton, who really didn't make uh, any glaring mistakes other than, hey, the the Cleveland Browns have a very good offensive line. And one of the small things that fortunately helped the Chiefs was that, you know, their left tackle had an ankle injury and could not finish yeah. the game. So um, I, I want to see Nick Bolton in coverage a little bit more um, just because, hey, so much of September is finding out and, and Spagnuolo's mentioned this, but like, hey, let's find out what you can and cannot do. And then when I have a really good sense of that, I will scheme things around to hopefully have you do more of the things you can do versus the, yeah, kind of put you in a bad spot to where I, you know, you know, I know, and the other team know, you can't do that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so they'll get better at that as the season goes on. I just, I get the sense that, you know, if the Chiefs are comfortable one one of two things has to happen, Josh, from this point forth. A, they have to be better in terms of getting off the field on third down. Mm-hmm. Or they can't be just a free-for-all in the red zone. I think mm-hmm. one of those two things has to one of those two things has to be fixed. And I'm wondering what Spagnolo will sort of, you know, pinpoint first or try to you know, uh, try to alleviate to some degree because, uh, I, I, you know, I'm looking this up right now. And, yes, the the Browns were, and I think part of that is the second, I guess the second half, they were much better on third down. So they fixed, they, they have fixed one thing. <laughs> but in the first half, they were giving up first downs. Obviously, the Browns were really efficient on fourth down as well. Um, and so I, I just want, I just want to see, like, can the, can the Chiefs defense, do they, do they have to be so reliant on turnovers or are they actually going to be f- a functioning defense in the mm. red zone? Um, because if they're not going to be, if they're going to continue to be the worst defense in the red zone, um, and, and I just want to look this up one more time. Yes, the Browns were four for four on red zone trips. Uh, they were 100% on goal to goal trips. Uh, the Browns did not kick a field goal. Like, Part of the Chiefs' defense is turnovers and field goals. Um, so one of those things needs to get better. Uh, hopefully Juan Thornhill and Tyron Matthew being on the field together will prevent some of the the opening lanes on intermediate deep passes. But I'm interested to know, is it an issue on third down or are we trying to get off the field and force these, these coaches to make, you know, a little bit more difficult decisions 
whether they're going to kick a field goal from the red zone or not. Well, and uh, you mentioned Matthew there. We haven't really talked about him much because, again, he he did not play in this game, obviously. And uh, a lot of those things, I think, probably do get better, certainly, with Tyron Matthew out there. Also, by the way, on the linebacker front, real quick again, um, all three of those guys played a lot of snaps. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I think it was all between 70 and like 85% for, for all Hitchens, Bolton, and Neiman, which would be lessened just by having Tyron Matthew back because you can – you can spend some more time in sub packages and have a a, a Swiss Army knife and Tyron Matthew that is able to, to help cover whatever you might need in that spot. But so how how much do you think immediately gets improved with Tyron Matthew? And also, are you assuming that he will be back fully next week and that we're just going to have a week of seeing if, if if Matthew can be fully conditioned by the time the Ravens game comes around? Yeah. So some people may ask, you know, hey, if he was up on the active roster, why didn't he play? Uh, as I said before last week. Uh, Andy Reid wants to see you on a practice field. He's, he's just old school, so you got to practice by Friday. Um, you know, it's not necessarily Tyron's fault, you know, that he was going through the COVID protocols and that he needed to get, you know, obviously through the virus. But he comes back on Saturday. He did go through the walkthrough, based on my understanding, but that's different from a practice. Um, you know, it's, it's not obviously at, at semi-game speed, whatever. But um, he did do some stuff Sunday morning. Uh, he looked better than like, you know, I, I just remember Chris Jones trying to work on, I think he had like a calf injury in like the Texans playoff game. And I was like, oh yeah, my, I was like, oh my God, is this guy ever going to play football this season? Weirdly yeah. enough, he came back against the Titans and obviously wrecked them in the second half and went on to be very dominant in the Super Bowl. But I think Tyreek, or excuse me, I think Tyron Matthew had a better pregame, you know, quote unquote warm up than Chris Jones did in the divisional round against the Texans in the 19th season. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe there's a small chance he is, I think, the most important player on defense because of all the things you mentioned, Josh, that can be more flexible, they can be more creative. Uh, you have more sub-packages at your disposal. Um, but Andy Reid basically said, it's week one. There are 17 of these things. And because your conditioning is not right, the Chiefs were very, you know, leery of, like, you know, what if he has to change directions quickly right? in a snap and there's some, it, there's just some soft tissue injury. There's just something that is going to nag him for another month, most notably hamstring. Um, and so they took a safe approach. And in some ways, this game will inform Spagnolo of what the base can do, right? Of what uh, the situation may look like. How do we coach players in certain situations, certain tendencies, you know, knowing that we may have less of those opportunities um, moving forward if everything's okay with Tyron. But hey, when those situations do, you know, arise, you are at least somewhat more prepared because there was a game scenario that sort of led um, to having to play a certain way based on obviously whatever the opposing offense sort of presents. Um, you know, the, the Browns are similar to the Chiefs where they have a lot of tight ends. Um, we'll see how many of those teams are, are around to, to challenge the Chiefs in that specific way where you have to keep maybe one uh, less secondary defender on the field because you feel like you have to have you know the linebackers to match up. Um, I think for Tyron, everything should be fine. I think he will play against Baltimore uh, unless something unforeseen occurs. Um, I was told that Frank Clark was was probably going to go um, on Saturday. That didn't happen. He's still mm -hmm. dealing with the hamstring injury. So my assumption is he will try again 
to practice. He now he did practice all of last week. He was limited, so I'm assuming roughly the same thing. See how he feels with the warm up. If he does play, it'll be under limited snaps. Tyron Matthew, there may be a chance where, depending on how he does in practice, maybe he can be back to the guy who plays 90% of the snaps, if not more, um, just based on how his conditioning is and how his body responds to, you know, practicing for the first time in two weeks. We're, we're running long, so I'll hold I'll hold any potential Frank Clark thoughts for uh, for the episode later this week. We're back on trying to do two a week here, so you can expect that. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to a podcast feed, wherever it is you get your podcasts here. Just search for Times Ours. And uh, two a week, again, that's the plan. We'll probably try to go Monday, Friday, Monday, Thursday, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, next week's going to be, I don't know if it'll be as early in the day, because we got a night game next week. And we, I, that always throws a wrench into things. We're, 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 I was gonna say I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver because uh, we got some moving parts. But uh, we, we're gonna go back to to a week. Hope to have Seth back for the, uh, the the Ravens preview episode. And again, make sure you're subscribed to the feed wherever you get your podcast. You can search for Times Ours. Of course, read Nate's work up on the Athletic. Uh, you can also follow all of us on Twitter. Even though he's not here, Seth is at Real MN Chiefs fan. Nate is at By Nate Taylor. I'm at JB Briscoe. And also, if you got a Chiefs fan in your life that would like a little more Chiefs talk, or maybe just a particular brand of Chiefs talk that you're a fan of, tell them about Times Ours. Tell them to, to search it up on their podcast app of choice, and we'll be there. Uh, Nate, anything else before we wrap up today? Or if not, you can uh, take us away as we we've got one game under our belt and. Not quite sure how many more to go, actually, which is uh, always a fun place to be. Yeah, exactly. And I will second your uh, sentiment on, yes, please tell uh, fans um, that, hey, we we, we provide great analysis and some specific brand of entertainment um, (laughs) within that, like, very specific. Um, But look, a a quick shout out to to Clint and Steve, uh, Clint's son, Red. Uh, I got to meet all of them uh, maybe like an hour and a half before kickoff with Seth. Um, great group of guys. It, it's just fun to interact with fans again in person, something I very much mentioned in training camp. But hey, they're, uh, they're, they're, there's always, um, I don't know, Kit, you're probably going to have to cut this part. But I, I was just going to say, um, it was great to say hello. I really do appreciate people that subscribe to The Athletic as these fellas do. And yeah, maybe Arrowhead will be just as loud, if not more loud, as the season progresses, Josh, because people people want football and the, and the Chiefs are, you know, playing a particular style that uh, continues to keep folks entertained. <laughs>